This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in His power and love even now as you listen. All right, you can grab a seat. I want to thank our worship team this morning. You may have noticed Luke is out of town today, so we're thankful for uh, the father-son duo up here, for David and, and Truett stepping in, and um, that's just really cool to, to see the, the body of Christ step in. When there's others away, we have those that are ready to fill in, and so thank you to our worship team who um, puts in practice each week and, and leads us in worship through song as we gather together. If you've got a Bible... Go ahead and open up to the fourth chapter of Philippians. We're going to be looking at this morning verses 1 through 9. Philippians 4, 1 through 9. All right, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Sintichi to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women, women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Let's pray. Great is your faithfulness, Lord, every single morning. Father, as we come here this morning, we are are regularly unfaithful people. We struggle to keep our eyes on you, but we thank you for your mercy, for your grace. We pray today, Lord, that as we gather together that our time would be worthwhile, not wasted. Lord, I pray against any distraction in the room today wherever that may be, wherever that may come from. Lord, I pray for the heart in the room that is hungry, and the mouth that thirsts, and for those that are struggling. I pray that this could be a place of peace. Lord, we pray these things in your name. Amen. I was thinking as we were preparing for these graduates um, this week, very yet again, Excited for those graduates we just recognized. But I was thinking back to 
my high school graduation and going off to college, and I spent my first two years of college on campus at Liberty University. But after my first two years of, of college, I decided to, to move off campus. And once I moved off campus, it was then that I started taking on some new responsibilities. Now, those responsibilities, some of which I, were ready, I was ready for, some of which I was not. One of those new responsibilities was washing my own clothes. My grandma had washed my clothes for the first two years and washed them and folded them. And so I decided at this rental house we were in with these guys, I'm going to go ahead and wash my own clothes. Go to Walmart, get me some laundry detergent. I'm in the laundry detergent aisle. I'm looking at all the different options. I'm looking at the price. Of course, I'm trying to, you know, get the cheapest option. I find one that's about $6. I look at, well, this is $12. This is $13. This is $6. I'm going to grab that. I grab it. It was Gain. Gain laundry detergent. I proceed to wash my clothes for four or five months, probably, maybe six. And I look down one day at this detergent plastic bottle, and it says liquid fabric softener. <laughs> and so, for months on end, my clothes were really soft. And they smelled really good. But they weren't clean. That was the problem. Me being cheap, me not reading the fine line, and <clears throat> caused my clothes not to be clean, right? You know, I was thinking about that, that kind of goofy illustration today. And this text that we're looking at, I really believe this is a serious text. One to memorize, um, to live by, obviously. And I think it's one this morning that for many of you in this room will truly prove to be an encouragement to you. A very simple, this is, this is very simple this morning. I really believe this is a simple exhortation that we're going to be given, a very simple challenge. I think it's going to be an encouragement. And there's one word in here that we're going to focus on quite a bit. You see up here, the pathway of peace. And peace is that word I want us to think about. Peace is within this text a few times. You heard it sprinkled in there. And here's the thing about peace. I, I would say all of us in here desire to have peace within life. We desire peace. But I would also say that there's, there's many of us in here that are actively searching for peace. Now you may be in one of a few different categories. You may be searching for peace because you've never found true peace. We're going to see today, we'll break the story to you. Jesus is our true peace. That's the one where we, he's the way, he's the truth, he's the life. He's the one that we find true peace within. But some of us in here today also, we may be seeking peace. Maybe we would say, well, I'm, I'm active in my, my church family. I, you know, I'm, I, I try to read my Bible quite often. Um, Perhaps we're, perhaps we're coming at peace from more of a performance type angle this morning. We're going to see that we don't have the ability to perform ourselves into peace, right? We just sang the song, great is his faithfulness, morning by morning. He's, it's, it's his faithfulness, it's his peace that covers our life. So some of us may be in that category where we're, we're scratching and crawling for something that perhaps has already been 
given to us in Christ, okay? Here's the other area. Some of us in here, and I know it, I know there are some of us in here, you do not have peace whatsoever. You are bankrupt of peace in your life. You yearn for it, you desire it, you don't have it. You don't have it because you don't know Jesus. And so my, my prayer has been this week, my prayer is this morning, that as we look at this pathway of peace, and I want you to pay attention to the words, pathway of peace, it's not a pathway to peace. We're going to look at a few different things this morning. You'll see up here five marks of the peace-filled life. You see up here the, to be unified, to be joyful, to be reasonable, to be prayerful, to be holy. These are ways of life that we want to possess. But what I don't want you to think is that, all right, I'm climbing, I'm using these things like a ladder to climb to attain peace. These things that we're talking about today are a result of peace already attaining you. Okay? It's not a, it's not a ladder. It's not a performance-driven mechanism. These are the results of the life that is in Christ, to live in Christ. And that's what we're going to see this morning. I think a big point that we'll kind of grasp in this as we look at Paul speaking to the Philippians is that flesh has not the power to dictate the peace which Christ sacrificially has provided for us and secured. His finished work powerfully liberates what sinful flesh aggressively seeks to keep bound. There's many of us in here of which are allowing sinful flesh to keep us trapped, bound. We're living a life that's not unified. Our joy, perhaps, is on the fence. Therefore, we're not showing reason in the way that we make decisions and carry on in life. We're not being prayerful. We're, we're spending more time in anxious toil. And we're not pursuing a righteous and holy lifestyle. So, these are the marks of a peace-filled life, and that peace is found only within Christ. Now, if you look at verse 1 here, Paul says, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown. I think it's good to just pause there for a second and think about the great love that Paul has for these people. You see this as Paul writes to these churches. There's just this deep connection. There's this deep bond. We're going to talk about unity in the, here in a second. He is seeking to be of one heart and one mind with these people. You sense that. He longs for them. He calls them his joy and his crown. He knows that he's poured his life out into them and he loves to see that those that are walking within in the Lord. And he says this, stand firm thus in the Lord. Stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. Now, it's probably appropriate for us to pause for a second and think about, well, what are we standing firm in? What, are the, what is he talking about here? What are, why do they need to stand firm? And they were experiencing pressures. Now, some of these pressures were from the outside. Some of these pressures were from the inside. From the outside, they were experiencing, experiencing different levels of, of persecution, right? From the inside, we're going to see there was some disagreement that was going on. Now, we'll, we'll talk about this in a second. We're not quite sure what the level of this disagreement was, but it was seen as a threat, and Paul was going to have to, to deal with it. So he's being called 
He's calling them stand firm within your faith in Christ. So as we look at how he's calling them to stand firm, these five marks of a, of a peace-filled life, that's our, the exhortation this morning for you and me. May we stand firm. Some of us are on some really shaky ground this morning, really discouraged, feeling heartache, wondering, am I truly in Christ? Why would I even follow Christ? Listen intently this morning, and I pray that you would be encouraged and drawn deeper into trust of him. Here's the first point. So this is in verse two through three. First thing for us to, to kind of ponder here and think about is this call to be unified. Now, it says in verse two, I entreat Yodi and I entreat Sintichi to agree in the Lord. So we may wonder, well, who are these women that he's talking to here? Um, these women were important figures within the church there at Philippi. They were known figures. Paul says, as he goes on here, he says, I ask you also, true companion, help these women. He says, I have labored side by side with them. They've labored side by side with me in the gospel. Paul has spent a considerable amount of time alongside of them, they have been key kegs there within the ministry, within that community. But like we said, something has come up here that is causing a pulling apart. Now, we may wonder, well, what's the nature of it? Now, was this some kind of doctrinal issue perhaps where one of them has just kind of gone off on some kind of tangent that is not of Christ and into levels of false teaching? Now, I would say, as we look at this, I would say that is, is not the case. It seems to be here that there's more, in some way, a, a battle between preferences, perhaps. Um, a battle between different ideals. But you see here, you know, he refers to them at the end of verse 3 as their names being in the, in the book of life. He, he speaks of them in a positive way. I've labored side by side with them, but, but something subtle was beginning to probably become major within this community. And so what does Paul do? He says something about it. He speaks to them. He calls them by name. We know he's done this in other places. He's elsewhere called out Peter. And you know, he, he's known for, for setting the record straight. You, you read his writings to the Corinthians. You see, you see a lot of that. So, but this is pretty important. One, that he would use these women's name. He uses their name because he's, he knows these are important figures. There's many people that look to them. They're going to follow their lead. And we know how disputes go. Disputes tend to lead into, well, I'm going to take this side, and well, I'm going to take that side. And then before you know it, you're split, right? It just gets messy. He didn't want that to happen. He understands the importance of unity. And it's interesting how he goes about it. He calls them out, but then what does he do? He calls other people into it as well. He references this true companion. Now, there's many different takes on who the true companion is. We don't know who it may be. Some people say it could be someone such as, as Luke. We don't know. We don't know who that true companion is. But it's someone that they would have known who it was. And he's saying, hey, I want you to step in here and I want you to help us bring this thing back together. Not only the true companion, but he talks about, and the rest, Clement and the rest of these fellow workers. He's like, we gotta, 
we got to circle together here, and we cannot allow this to continue to divide us. It's becoming something that's causing way too much damage. Now, it's interesting, if you look back in Philippians, we know that this is a pretty hot subject because he, he talks in chapter 2 about fleeing from this selfish ambition, right? This is chapter 2 of Philippians is one of the chapters within this book many people would be fairly familiar with. We see Paul's share of Christ's example of humility. If you go back to chapter 2, look at verse 1. It says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, do nothing from selfish, selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Look, let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. So I think from reading this, we can assume there was some kind of self-interest that was beginning to kind of wiggle its way around. And he's trying to, to nip this thing in the bud and say, hey, we got to be of one mind. If we're going to say that we share within this joy, if there is this encouragement in Christ, we got to be together. We got to be unified in our mission, right? Now, I think in an application sense here, it's, you begin to think about, well, what do we see in this? And I think one thing that, that I wrote down is the longer detractors and distractors go undealt with, the duller we become to our true purpose. The longer that those within the body of Christ that are living waywardly, that are pursuing self-interest, that are obsessed over their own preferences. And we see this within the body. It happens. We're imperfect people. And we're going to have times where we're going to disagree on different things. But if we allow it to continue to spill over, what's it going to do? It's going to continue to pull apart and it's going to break. Right? And so there's an importance to, to speak to it. Now, it's hard to speak to wrongdoing sometimes. Right? It's hard when you get into a spot where you see a brother or sister and you're saying, man, I can see them going down a pathway here that is probably not going to end well. It's probably going to be, it's going to probably cause deeper division and deeper divide. And it's easy sometimes to step back and just say, I'm just going to let it go. Brittany and I were talking about this not long ago, how it's hard sometimes to go to somebody and say like, hey, I want to, I want to give you some encouragement. Let me, let's redirect things here. Why? Because we worry about what people think, right? But it's important for us to speak to it. Speak truth to those things that could become deep divides. I think it's also important we've got to be unified in gospel approach. Active and accountable within gospel community. If we're not active and accountable within gospel community, then these elements of divide will probably never have their chance to be put out, Right? And that should really be a deep challenge for many of us is are we living entrenched within gospel community to the point where if one of you or me in here begins to get into a disagreement or you or I, one of us in here, begins to live in a way that displays waywardness, is there somebody in our life that would be able to step in and say, Hope, pump the brakes. We got to circle the wagons back. We got to think about this thing. If you're not connected you really don't have any responsibility because you're living isolated and you're going to do your isolated thing. 
the body is to be functioning together as one. It's almost like, and I worry this could be the case for many of us, it's almost like when we view our involvement within church, it's like getting, you know, it's summertime. Some, some of y'all maybe like to go to the beach in the summer and work a puzzle. I'm sure there's some of y'all that like to work puzzles and take time. It's always fun, right? But what do you do at the beginning? You take the puzzle pieces, you dump them out on the table, and then you start working. But it's almost like for many of us when it would come to the church is we're taking those puzzle pieces each week and we're dumping them on the table, but then we're just kind of scooping them back in the box. And then we come back the next week and we dump them on the table, and there's never time spent really connecting together. So what happens the more you dump and dump and dump you're probably going to start losing some pieces. They're probably going to fall away. And then you're going to, when you lose pieces, then you're going to start trying to force certain pieces into an area they should have never gotten forced into. That's a problem. We've got to be unified. And here's the thing. We can't allow our personal preferences to drown out our gospel purpose. Personal preferences, in many cases, will drown out our gospel purposes, right? So that preference could be a wide variety these are what I would refer to here, what was going on. There were some secondary issues that were being made primary issues that were taking the eyes away from the primary issue, right? You got to determine that in your life. What are the things that I'm obsessing over and that I'm focusing on? Is it more focused on who I am in Christ or preserving my own little life? Am I consumed with my placement in this world, me being comfortable? people liking me, things working out in my favor, or am I more concerned with, I want to honor Christ. I've got to be unified. Here's the second thing is, is joyful. You're going to see this morning, these things, they build upon, they really do build upon each other. If you go there back to Philippians 4, look at verse 4. Very short, very simple, very profound verse. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. We'd hear that and many of us would say, yep, I know, I, I do need to rejoice in the Lord. I understand that. You know, I, I gotta, I want Jesus to be my deepest joy. But here's the thing about, I think as Paul was writing this to him, he knew that they were facing hardship. He knew that they were going through this exterior pressure within their culture that was leading to different forms of persecution it would have been easy for them to kind of just blend in, be more passive in approach. He also knew about these different levels of self-interest and selfless ambition that was causing some dissension and divide. And he was saying, we got to rejoice in the Lord. Always, again, I will say rejoice. Here's the struggle for probably many of them and for many of us as well is, do we grasp the permanency of joy's mark upon the life of the believer. Do we grasp that joy is, is abiding and defining, not circumstantial or temporal? That this joy flows from the wellspring of life, not hinging upon fleshly circumstances or situations. That's where it gets hard. It's hard when we begin to be attacked. When darkness begins to crawl into our life. When isolation begins to take precedent and we feel like we're out on an island where discouragement knocks, where we begin to think, well, no one understands me. Are we rejoicing in the Lord still? Because here's the thing, you're going to see as it builds, if I'm disconnected, and we just learned the, the danger of being disconnected, we've got to be unified. 
the more disconnected I am, the more I'm going to lose focus of what my joy actually is, that my joy is to be found within the Lord. And you're going to see more and more waywardness. I go back to Philippians chapter 1. You know, you think, well, has Paul, does Paul understand what they're going through? Like, does he, doesn't he grasp that it's, it's hard to rejoice in the Lord sometimes? Yeah, of course. You listen to what he says in chapter 1 when he talks about to live as Christ. He goes on and he says here in verse 21, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose I cannot tell. I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ for that is far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. So you see Paul here going and saying, whether I live, whether I die, I'm in Christ, that's all that matters. I would rather be with Christ now, but I understand that it's necessary for me to remain here so that I can make an impact on you. So there's a few things going on here. He's not in that mindset considering himself first. He's considering the needs of others. He's saying, boy, I'd rather not have to live here. It would be a much greater worth for me to be able to, to be in the presence of my Lord now, but I know it's a necessity for me to remain here. So you see this sense of a joy that goes much deeper. A joy that trials and circumstances and pains and hurts cannot undermine. It doesn't have the authority to do that if, if you're in Christ. Now, it's interesting here to, to ponder, and I kind of went back and forth over this this week some. You think about joy compared to happiness, right? So, you know, when we think about joy, joy, I just said it, joy is not circumstantial in nature. It's not fleeting, Joy is something that is, is deep, it is entrenched, right? But, but here's what I think happens sometimes is we kind of take joy and then we kind of bash happiness, right? Now happiness does tend to be, when it comes to our lives, something that may be considered more feeling-oriented or more circumstantial in nature. And we know that rejoicing is not defined by feeling, it's not defined by mere pleasure or just emotion, but here's the other thing, it's neither neutered of these things. Happy, happiness is not merely trivial, but something that we should really seek in the Lord. We should seek to be happy in Him. And the deeper our joy becomes entrenched in Him, the more we'll enjoy Him and be happy in Him within our daily lives. The less we'll find the, the cares and the matters of this world discouraging us and, and, and undermining us because we'll say, boy, my I'm, I'm in a much deeper rooted place. You see here, joy is a defining mark in the life of the believer, not a fleeting feeling. And here's the other thing about this, is a sometimes level of dependence upon the Lord will lead to a mere situational, temporal grasping of the joy of the Lord. If we're in here today and we're casual in our faith, and when I say casual is we, we show up like we are here today, we you know, maybe we crack open our, our Bible during the week, but maybe, maybe, maybe that's about the extent of it. Maybe we're not obeying the Lord. Maybe we're not making disciples. Maybe we're not evangelizing. Maybe we're very passive in nature. That sometimes level of dependence will really lead to a mere situational or temporal grasping of his joy. And we can't expect to really begin to walk in obedience if we're not grasping that joy dynamic, right? That's why he's saying rejoice in the Lord always. Again, 
I will say rejoice. Here's the the third thing is is this idea of, of reasonableness. He says in verse five, another very short, simple, but yet profound verse. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Now the ESV here, which I'm, I'm reading from, translates this word as reasonableness, but it's also translated elsewhere as graciousness, gentleness. And what he's saying here is that as they face the day-to-day opposition, that they would begin to respond in a way that is gracious. Respond in a way that is reasonable. Respond in a gentle manner. And you think, well, how do I begin to to live with that graciousness in my life as I encounter things that should cause me to spew over in defeat or to bow over in defeat or spew over in anger? How do I begin to be more gentle and gracious and and reasonable in my thinking? I think we find that in what he he says there by saying we display reason because we have a clear-cut aim line before us which is the day of the Lord, that Jesus is coming back. We're focusing on eternity, not the temporal. He's calling us here, we gotta consider, we gotta consider others. It's not just about us. Our reasonableness has to be known to everyone. Are we living our lives right now with the perspective that the day of the Lord is at hand? His presence, here's a couple things to ponder. His presence is near now. He is not distant from us. So there's that level of nearness. But then we also need to consider he's coming again. And guess what's gonna happen when he, when he comes again? Philippians chapter two, verse nine through 11. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him, this is Jesus, on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. When he comes again, we were talking about this in our student ministry the other week, when he comes again, there's no second chances. There's no, oh man, let me, Jesus, give me a little bit more time to get ready. I I didn't know. No, there's none of that. And so what am I living with? I'm saying, all right, his presence is, if I'm in Christ, his presence is with me now and that should empower me to go and live in such a way that prepares other people as well. But hey, if our joy is being sought in other things, if I'm disjointed and disunified, probably not gonna be thinking with that kind of graciousness, gentleness, reasonableness. You know how I'll probably think? I want to protect myself. I can't believe that person said such and such about me. You know, I'm, gonna, I'm bitter. I'm going to get back. You know, well, they don't understand me. They don't understand, you know, I have my rights. Now listen, our worth, our joy is in, is in Christ. You know what we do? We, we patiently, gently walk our way through this world seeking to be salt and light, Right? So that's, that's, our, that's our challenge. That's what we're really being called to here. But, but you think about it. Misplaced joy is gonna lead to misplaced reason. That's what we were just saying. Misplaced joy, if our joy is not in the Lord and it's in other things, we're not gonna live in an unreasonable, gracious, gentle manner. Here's the next point is the, the importance of, of prayerfulness, right? 
6 through 7. Many of you maybe are familiar with this. Don't be anxious about anything. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So here's the thing about, let's chat about anxiety for a second. Now, I know I keep working back through it. If I'm not unified, my joy is elsewhere, probably going to be not living in a reasonable manner. Guess what's going to come knocking? Anxiousness. Anxiety. It's going to come knocking. And here's the thing about anxiety. It's a mauler. It's a dismantling thief. It's a king of lies. And here's what it thrives off of. It thrives off of aimlessness. And what does it seek to do? It seeks to paralyze you in fear. It thrives within the moments where we feel out of control. I got news for us this morning. We're never in control, right? But it, it makes us get focused in and saying, oh, I don't have something. I don't know how this is going to turn. don't know how this is going to turn out. It attacks the feelings. It places stress on the mind. Left unhinged, it places you on edge to the core. Paul knew that. As he's, mess- as he's talking to them here in this letter, he's saying, you know, don't be anxious. Don't let these things overwhelm and overpower you. Now, here's the thing in a room like this today. I guarantee, I know, I said this in the first service, there's probably many of us in here that are currently struggling with anxiety. Some form or fashion. For some in this room, anxiety may be paralyzing to you. You find yourself in positions where your mind feels like it's on overdrive and that you, can, you can't figure out how to, to wind, it, wind it down. Some of us in here, anxiety, we get into certain public spheres and, and it feels like the eyes of millions are all of a sudden just focused on us and we don't know how to navigate it or, or move, move forward. Anxiety is, is, a, is a very complex deal. And if you feel weak within that anxiety, that's because we are weak. We're not strong. We are not strong enough to fight it on our own. It's been many times within my life where I've gone through different bouts with anxiety. Um, and it's frustrating for me because typically when I deal with those, those seasons of anxiousness, I don't even know where it comes from. Can't even put a finger on it. I just, you just feel off. You feel like there's something. And, and notice I keep talking about the feelings and, and our feelings are insufficient. But our feelings express things. We don't just suppress them and say, don't feel. No, we're going to feel, but we take those and we say, God, I want to give them to you. I'm overwhelmed in this. I can't handle it anymore. I've tried my way. I'm trying to scratch and claw, but I can't. And how do we do that? We depend on the Lord and we pray. Within this text here, you see, he refers to this word prayer within, in three different ways. The first being he says in everything by prayer, just prayer in a simple sense. Then we see here in supplication, like this crying out and urging to God. And then the last one there is that, that thankfulness. So it's, first it's, it's going before God. Some of us maybe need to start there and just need to get before God. Some of us need to, when we get before God, we need to say, God, here, here's, I can't, I can't handle these things. These weights are too much. The pressures are too much. I'm trying to weigh them on my shoulders. Can't handle it. And some of us need to stop and just give thanks. 
God, I remember where you have, times in my past where you have delivered me. Times where I, I thought I was going to be overwhelmed, but you took the reins and you held me steady. We go before him with a heart of, of prayerfulness, right? A heart of prayerfulness. Now, I thought about, been reading through Proverbs. Proverbs 12, 25 says, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down. I've been really encouraged reading through Proverbs this week, and there's several little pieces I found in here that were really applicable. 1225, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. Here's the good word for us this morning. Here's the good word that Paul wanted the Philippians to grasp. Trust in Jesus. You know why we trust in Jesus in prayer? Because what is the promise of it? Verse 7, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. It's beyond human conception. We can't build it and piece it together ourselves. It's an act of God, mysterious and miraculous within nature, which surpasses understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So here's, here's the thing to, to kind of ponder here. Peace should not serve as a last-ditch effort in the face of anxiety, but rather as a frontline fighter in defense of our joy in the Lord. Some of us are just going before God and hoping, God, just give me peace, please help me. And he's sitting there saying, I've, I've given it to you. You have peace within me. So what does this show for many of us? We don't realize the weaponry that we have at our disposal. How our Lord and Savior, he fights for us. I consider Hebrews 4 where it talks about Jesus. It says, he is able to sympathize with us in our weakness. He was tempted in every way as we are, yet what's the difference? He was without sin. He's a mighty warrior, right? And in those moments where we feel overwhelmed, there's a reason for that. It's reminding us you're not enough. We can't keep living like we're trying to make ourselves enough. We're only enough when we are within him. Final one is this, as we see this call for, for holiness. It says there, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. You know, we read this at, at first glance and, and we could kind of settle in with a maybe moralistic, behavior-driven mindset, one that hints towards some form of rules-based living that enhances faith or standing with God. This is not just merely a call to moral understanding or a moral code. This is a call that as we live through this fleshly world, this day-to-day -day life, are we stopping and considering and putting up into the light of Christ and saying, does this glorify my Father? These thoughts that I'm allowing the space in my head, is it honorable to him? Is it stuff that is worthy of praise, is excellent, right? Or is my filter just gone? Am I just searching and scratching for peace and trying to find it wherever I may be able to land my feet, right? He's saying here, consider these things. Look to Christ. Think, does it honor and glorify him? And then he says there in verse nine, he's like, remember what you've learned and heard and seen in me. He's basically like you've heard him say before, though Paul says he's not, he's not arrived yet, but he said, follow me as I follow Christ. He's saying, I, I'm seeking to live this life of, of surrender before him. Follow me within that. What does it say? If you practice these things, the God of peace will be with you. Our healthy practice does not lead to his presence, but his presence leads to our healthy practice. So for, for some of us in here, 
to begin to live with that correct filter, to begin to take things before him and say, all right, God, I just wanna, I wanna take steps in ways that honor you. I want the space that I allow within my mind, the things that I watch, the things that I, I listen to, I want you to be the standard there. For some of us, we need to realize that what's gonna fuel that is grasping his presence. He is so near to us. But for some of us, like Paul says in 2 Corinthians, we gotta get out of our own way. <laughs> It comes this point of surrender. As it closes here, here's a final thought. True peace is not arbitrarily or circumstantially driven. The true peace of God is absolute in nature. It overwhelms the pursuits of sinful flesh, ultimately providing the soul of the believer with confident rest and deepening and trusting communion with the Father. John 16, says, I've, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. I think back to that opening illustration. There I was for months on end trying to wash my clothes with liquid fabric softener. It won't happen, right? Smelled good, looked good, so on the exterior maybe it seemed sense, on the interior it was dirty, Right? There's some of us that maybe need to be reminded of this very simple fact today. We're trying to live life without the key component. The key component is Christ Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. The key component is, is Christ Jesus. The one, as it says here in John 16, he says, I've said these things that you may have peace. He tells us clearly, in the world, you're gonna find tribulation. That's the reality, folks, like, you're going to face tribulation, you're going to face trial, you're going to face discouragement, you're going to go through moments of defeat. That's, what, that's a result of the fallen flesh. But what does it say? He says, take heart. Why can I take heart? Because Jesus has overcome the world. The thing that weighs us down most, he's saying, I overcame it. Are you going to trust me? The key component is Christ. And that leads us today to ask, as we close in prayer, do you know Christ? If you do know Christ, are you living as if you know Christ? To live as if we know Christ means that these are the marks that we're gonna see within our life. These things don't get us to his peace. The idea of being unified, joyful, the idea of being reasonable and prayerful and holy, they don't get us to peace. They're a result of peace that's captured our heart. If you're in Christ, it's captured you. Start living in freedom, not defeat. Don't give the mauling presence of things such as anxiety, the strength to define, define your life. And here's the other thing. If you don't know Christ, you have no peace. You are bankrupt of it. You're dead in your trespasses and sins. You have no hope within your life. The good news is, just like we read in that proverb, it talked about heavy is the weight of anxiety, but how great a good word is that falls upon the heart. The good word that can fall upon your heart this morning that can take that weight way is the good news of Jesus Christ. Jesus saves. Do you know him today? I know, in a, I know there are people in this room today, you do not know Christ. You will die in your trespasses and sins apart from him. The good news is you can call upon him today and your life can be found. Peace can now fight for you. I love that the anxiety one. It says that he, it fights for us. He fights for us. It, it helps us in the moments of defeat. Why? Because his love is, is more Rest in him today. Surrender to him today. Repent of your sins and believe. Let's pray.
God, we thank you for today. I thank you for the opportunity that you have given us, Lord, to be here. Thank you for your word. Lord, we come before you as weak people. I, I ask and I plead that you would take a wayward heart this morning and bring that wayward heart to you. Lord, you know the people in here that lack peace at a very foundational sense and they don't know you. And I pray, Lord, that you would do a miraculous work within their heart. It may be the most stubborn person in this room, the most hardened heart person in this room, the person that if their family were to, to think of them or if they would say, there's no way, but Lord, you have the power to break down every wall there is nothing in this world that can promise peace. Lord, we know our jobs can't do it. Pleasures can't do it. The only place we find peace is within you. May we look to you today and glorify you. We pray these things in your name. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1:12. To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving Father, and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with him. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. 